You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the book of 2 Peter. We're calling Be Diligent. With this week's message, here's Executive Pastor Derek Hughes. Be diligent. That's our theme. That's where we're walking as we're making our way through the book of 2 Peter. And how we stay on point with diligence is how attentive and persistent we are in our pursuit of Jesus. As we've been walking through 2 Peter, we, we started in chapter 1 and we saw Peter's heart as he talked about our faith and how our faith is grounded in God's Word. Peter's tone changed a little bit in chapter 2. He began instructing, informing us that there are some out there, they're, they're labeled false teachers. And what they're meant to do is to get us off track. Lance referred to them as sheep in wolves' clothing. And then last week, Joe, Joe kind of encouraged us to be aware, to be diligent, to walk walk in faith with what uh, these false teachers and where they're leading because they would tell us that there's something out there that we need. There's something out there that we may want or there's something out there that would make our life better. Joe illustrated that for us. Uh, He sang a little song and he talked about kind of how he bought in, perhaps having his hair flowing in the wind as he bought a motorcycle and as he geared all of that of what he needed and how that was really not something that for him and his wife in particular was something they needed at the time. And so this week we're going to see a shift again and the shift is back for Peter's heart. He wants to lovingly encourage us as we move forward. We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 this morning, and and Peter wants to encourage us with the big picture. He wants us to see the promise, the promise of the day of the Lord which is coming. But before he does that, there's still another group that's within the church. They've got the false teachers that we talked about in chapter 2, but there's this other group that's in the church, and they're called scoffers. And these scoffers are ones that will mock They'll belittle believers. They'll challenge intelligence. And what they'll even go so far is they'll turn toward hope by by being unfair to those who believe. And so if you'd open in the Bible app your copy of Scripture, what electronic device you have, to 2 Peter chapter 3, we'll be beginning there. But to get us thinking a little bit, as Bill prayed... Is, is we looked at and what Caleb talked about in the, in the Lord's Supper, does it seem to you like evil is running rampant? Does it feel like there's hurt and there's loss and it's all over? It's consuming. That, that there's those that can get away with anything. And sometimes, and, and we want to cry out, we want to say, God, what are you doing? Will you, will you take this evil? Will you take those out that are doing this evil? Will you take the hurt? Will you take the pain away? And I cry that out sometimes, but then I have to stop. I have to then realize, am I getting what I deserve? 
And so that kind of challenges us to think that those that are within the, the church walls, but especially those that are outside, are we getting what we deserve because there's a God who loves us and a God who desires relationship with us? I wish I could say that as I get older, that this evil that's within me, these things that I do, this stuff that doesn't make sense, it lessens with each passing day. But unfortunately, that's not the case. A couple weeks ago, I, I blew it. I blew it big time. I thought about me. I thought about the moment. I thought about the circumstances and what I wanted at that point. I didn't stop and and think about holiness. I didn't stop to think of the big picture. I didn't, st I wounded. I wish I could take it back, but I couldn't. And it was there and it was right in front of me. And, and this God who loves me, a God who redeemed me is his own, I pushed aside. This God that's coming back for those that he cares about. And so that's where we're going to be moving in, in chapter 3. If, you, if you'd follow along with me, as we're going to be reading in verses 1 through 4. Peter says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And so the first thing we see here in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 4 is that God's word is certain. Chapter 2 was beware and turn away. Chapter 3, now he wants to stir up. He wants to stir in us the remembrance of what we know to be true. And so he starts with verse 1 and his purpose in writing. We know that Peter had ups and downs in his life. If you're new to Grace Church or maybe you're just tuning in on the first time to our live stream, and you have no background at all, I would venture to say that you have at some point heard about the Apostle Peter and something about his life. He had some moments that were incredible. He proclaimed Jesus as Lord. In Luke 5, 8, he falls on his feet and he says, I am an unworthy man. And he says, Lord, I, I put my faith, I put my trust in you what we just celebrated a few minutes ago around the Lord's table. We remembered what he has done for us. The fact that he, he, he carried our sin to the cross and he took it. He died, he was buried, and he rose again conquering sin and death for you and for me. And he's going to come back and redeem his own. He's going to come back and redeem us because he loves us. And so if you're here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus, I'd encourage you right now where you're seated, where you're hearing this, to say, Lord, I know I have messed up because Peter's going to show us some of his throughout this and we know those from his life. And so right now I just put my faith in you, God, for what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so we, we know that he stepped out of a boat. He walked on water. We know that he saw the glorified Christ. 
But then there's this other side of Peter that we've heard about. There's this Peter that opened his mouth quite a bit. There's this Peter that acted impulsively. And probably the one that most of us have heard about, there's this Peter who denied, who denied Jesus three times on the way to the cross. And so Peter struggled as I struggle, as we struggle. Peter knew isolation as I know isolation and as we know isolation. And so the first thing Peter wants to remind them in this letter is he says this second letter, identifying that he'd written him a first one, but he says the second letter, I am writing to you, beloved. He doesn't say that I'm writing to you, friends. I am writing to you, those that are close and dear to my heart. He says, I am writing to you, beloved. I am writing to you, and this is one of the forms of agape love, which is self-sacrificing. It's putting others before ourselves. It's what Christ did on the cross. And so when he says, I'm writing you, beloved, that's what he's saying to them. And so how can Peter do this? How does Peter know this? He, he had experienced failure. He had walked through this when he denied Christ three times. And then later we read in John chapter 21 that they come together. Peter's been fishing. They have the catch. He comes in on the shore. He swims in. Jesus has breakfast ready. And after breakfast, he asks this question. He says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And so when he says, do you love me? Basically, what he's saying is this, this Greek word, akapao. And he's saying, do you love me with the sacrificial love that puts others ahead of you? And so Peter answers him and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the word he uses here is phileo, that we have a deep acquaintance. We are close. And so he says, feed my lambs. And so he says to him a second time, Jesus looks at him and he says, son of John, Simon, son of John, do you agapao me? Do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you, that this acquaintance that we have, it's close, it's, it's endearing to us. And he says to him then, tend my sheep. And he says to him a third time, and now Jesus realizing where Peter's at, knowing his heart, knowing the truthfulness of what has just come out of his mouth, he says to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Now, Peter's grieved, and it says, because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Do you, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. And so Jesus met him where he was at that time. And so Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. And so this becomes Peter's lifelong mission. From Luke 5, when he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, you'll be fishers of men to John 21 when they're on the shore. And he says to him, do you love me? Feed my sheep. This becomes Peter's lifelong mission. He knew it. He can say it here in verse 1 because he knew that love. He experienced that love. He felt the forgiveness and the grace. Peter didn't live his life without sin for the rest of his life. 
But he knew what that love was in putting others in an area of importance, of being dedicated to them, wanting to see them be all that Christ and God has for them. He dedicated his life to feeding the sheep. And so he says to them, my mission now is, he says, as beloved, those that I love, you, I love you. He's going to say this beloved three more times in chapter three as we wrap up through this chapter. And so he knew firsthand what it was to be weak. He knew what it was to be separated, so to speak, from good fellowship with his Lord, and he knew what sin and failure was all about. And so as he's writing these individuals who are facing these, uh, these teachers that are, that are leading them astray, that is, as Lance said, that are coming up alongside not teaching actual truth, but just trying to get up there to make people believe it's true, he knew what that was for them. And he knew that as he instructed them, as he instructed us, God knew that Peter was the man for the job. And so in verse 1b, he's, he's remembering this love he has for them. And the second part of the verse, he says, I want to stir up. I'm, in, in these, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I want to stir up your mind. I want to I get you thinking because the false teachers had you thinking one way. I'm stirring up as a way of reminder what you already know. He's not teaching them new. He's saying, I want to stir up by way of reminder. I want you to remember what you already know. And so this stirring up for them, in the ESV, it says it's a, it's a pure mind. It's a sincere mind, but also it means a, a pure mind or wholesome thinking. And so this is a reminder of what we need to be reminded of. It's the opposite of what we walk through with evil deeds and with evil things. Now, this is for the pure and what is of truth. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, um, my parents told me things a lot. They'd say something over and over and over. Now, I know none of you had that. But my parents were trying to stir up my mind to remember. Now, in our family, as our children have been growing up, our boys were growing up, I found myself doing that. I found myself saying, keep your hands to yourself. Keep your hands to yourself. Keep your hands to yourself. Now, maybe I'm exaggerating, but it felt like a million times. Keep your, and so I got to a point where I was like, we were with friends. This is probably 15 years ago. We were with friends, and I, we were talking about it. And so a few of them recorded for me on my phone. I just recorded it. Keep your hands to yourself. Don't touch your brother. And I got to the point where we'd be going along somewhere in the car, and I'd just hold my phone up, and I'd push play. Well, many of you know and remember our, our, our lead pastor for 40 years, Tom Rogers. For those of you that are new to Grace Church, Tom was six foot three, NFL lineman, and had this infectious smile and way about him. And I was, in, I was commiserating with him that I'm so tired of saying this. Over and over and over, I keep saying this. And so he said, I'll record something for you. And I said, okay. Mary, will you play that for us? 
Say pain, you keep your hands off your brother, or it's pain time, buckaroo. And if you know Tom, you know exactly what he did after that. That big smile came out, and he said, you play that for those boys. And it's just that stirring up, that's reminder for us. And so my question for us as we're in here this morning and as we're, we're trying to understand these verses is, what do you need to record that will stir your mind, that you can play to remember God's truth, something of your struggles, something that would encourage you as Peter wants to encourage us here. Because Peter's desire is for them to remember the repeated announcements. He says, this is what you need to remember. The predictions of the holy prophets. You need to remember all of the Old Testament writings. Stir that in your mind. But also we need to remember the commandment, the commands of our Lord and Savior. We need to remember what Jesus says. The gospels are, are his recorded words that are there for us. In the upper room when they're observing supper before they institute the, the, the remembrance of Christ through the table, Peter asked a question. And he said, Lord, where are you going? And as Jesus is playing, Peter does one of those speak first, think later moments. And he says, Lord, if I have to, I'll lay down my life. I'll die with you. And Jesus says, Peter, before the morning, you're going to deny me three times. But Jesus answers his question. We see in John 14, 3, he says to Peter and he says to the apostles that are sitting around the table, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come back and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And so you might be asking, okay, you're going to come back and you're going to get me, but, but how do I get there? Where am I going? Joe used this verse last week. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we have the prophets. We have Jesus, and then we have Peter tells us that through the apostles, the apostle, as, as the church was spreading, as they were going out, their focus was not about themselves and what they were building. Peter here is, he's encouraging these believers and their focus was pointing people back to Jesus, to the cornerstone of our faith in what he had done and what he will do and what he has promised. And so not a ministry of pointing to themselves, but pointing to Christ, which points us to a second coming. And so the word is important for us. If you were here a few weeks ago, uh, we turned all the lights off. And we were talking about 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. We were, we, we were discussing uh, of how Peter has just told us that all scripture was, was given by God. And so Caleb, with the lights out, he lit just a little lamp and he walked around 
And, and he was illustrating for us that how the word is like that lamp. We can only go step by step as the lamp lights the way. And so for us in our lives, we can only go step by step as we are walking in light of who the word of, what the word of God says and how we internalize it, how we ingest it into us. Caleb used the meditation, which was we spend so much time that it becomes a part of us. It's not just the reminder, but it becomes a part of who we are. It's what Psalm 119, 9 through 11, keeping our way pure by God's word. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I heard word that is in me, that I might not sin, that I might not go against what God has done for us. And so as we move forward then uh, with this Dr. Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll, pastor and, and author and president of Dallas Seminary, he says this, Peter's brief statement in 3.2 encompasses the entire Old and New Testaments, the prophets, Jesus, and the apostles. No other source of truth has the power to give lasting stability and constant assurance. After this strong reminder for the godly to stand firm on the teaching of Scripture as the foundation for their faith, Peter offers a series of sober warning to the ungodly. And so verse 3, he starts with that. He says, knowing that this, first of all, he says there will be scoffers, and they're going to come in the last days, and they're going to be scoffing. I love Peter. Scoffers are coming, and they're going to be scoffing. Mockers are coming, and they're going to be mocking. Cynics are coming, and they're going to be cynical. And so we have to, we have to put this, this understanding that their ultimately goal is to deny Jesus. It's the opposite of ingesting God's word. They wanted to come alongside. They want to help us understand that something may be off a little bit. And so it's an attempt to, to deny Jesus and to deny then his return. And so he's challenging for us biblical thinking and unbiblical thinking because there's really just two options here. I know sometimes we want to stop and say, well, is there a third option? I'd like to be in the middle. But it was like when Lance was teaching us about dark and light. They can't. They don't coexist. You're either in the dark or you're in the light. And so for these, we've got to understand we're either in the truth or we're walking in this way of the scoffer because Peter knows we all follow something. And so what is this group following? Their own sinful desires. And that was covered in chapter 2. The ESV study Bible makes this clear about these, these scoffers. It says, the last days, and I add, from first to second coming of Jesus, the last days will feature scoffers who mock according to their own sinful desires. Their desire to live in sin with impurity derives them, drives them to deride biblical truth in those who believe it. And so Peter is making sure, he, he wants us to clearly understand that their goal is to drive a wedge between the truth of God and who Jesus is. And so they question this here. They say, verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. 
And so where is the promise? Has there been anything that has been punctuated? Has there been an event that God has intervened, that he has, he has stepped in to do something? Because he said, what of the second coming? Where is the promise? And they say, because ever since those fathers fell asleep, ever since those Hebrew patriarchs, including Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, fell asleep, a euphemistic term to meaning they had passed away, and this carries a note of sarcasm. Yeah, since they fell asleep, nothing's happened. But if we go back to creation, if we go back to the beginning, yeah, there's still not any signs of anything of God. And so they're asking this question to put doubt. But if we think about it, it's illogical. Because can you say, because I've never seen it, it can't be true? Well, I wrote down some things here. Because I've never died, I won't ever die. How about because I've never died, I'm not going to prepare with a will or something to, for my family. I always wanted to live this way when I was a student. I've always gotten good grades, but do I need to study? I've done well before. I'll be fine. Parents say, because I've had children before, I shouldn't, I've never, whoops, sorry, let me, because I've never had children before, I shouldn't prepare for them to leave the house as adults. So I won't give them age-appropriate freedom and responsibilities as they grow. If you heard this one, if I read the Bible and go to church, my life will be great. I don't know about you, but my life isn't great all the time. We never prepared our kids to grow up so we don't have a strategy. Strategy. We don't have a strategy to be empty nesters. We'll just go with that. How about this one in our current economy? I don't ever plan on having to cut back on finances or lifestyle so we spend everything we make. I did youth ministry for a lot of years, and I heard this over and over. Derek, we bring our kids to church. They'll be spiritually fine. As a youth pastor working with adolescents, there are no adolescents that are fine. They're going through a difficult time. Bringing them to church doesn't make them fine. It's walking along with them as Peter is doing with us. But believing the lie, it's short-sighted. It's not a big picture approach. How about this one? This one hits close to home for me. Do we sometimes think that, that there is something too big for our God that we don't pray about it? Or we don't pray because things have just kind of always continued as they have, and so it is what it is. We believe the lie that things will continue. We believe the lie that there's not a loving God that desires to intervene on behalf of his people. And that hits close to home. I have been with my wife before, and she is praying, and I have fallen asleep. And then she asked me, are you sleeping? And I said, no. And I lied because the word of God and what is being expressed to God at that moment, I was really just tuned out in my own little sleepy world. And so now 
Peter wants us to understand, and he moves forward with verses 5 through 7 because he's going to answer these scoffers. He says in verses 5 through 7, they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And so in a simple and encouraging way, Peter answers these scoffers. He reminds first that God is consistent in his word and in his character. First, he takes us to the past. He says the best thing, you know, that we can do is remember the past of what God has done, where he intervened, where his love was expressed. You know, for us sometimes when we're facing difficult circumstances, when it seems like the false teachers and, and those that are scoffing us move in, I was reminded of this by Dr. Yuan a couple weeks ago, that we need to count our blessings. You remember he held up that, what his mother had written down of all the things where she had been asking God to do and she had seen those blessings. So that hymn of counting our blessings and naming them one by one, when, when we're in that situation, that's important for us. Because Peter's going to answer them and he's going to be very simplistic and he's going to be straight to the point. Notice he doesn't write them or in, include a 15-page footnote explanation of why he is so right. He basically says, all right, you're overlooking the facts. He just tells them straight up. The King James Version uh, is pretty tough on scoffers here. They translate it as, you are willingly ignorant of the fact. And so not paying attention, you're willingly overlooking. It's like, oh, whoops, I forgot. No, you know the truth. You're willingly overlooking it in the questions that you're asking. And so this is why Peter started the section back in verse 1 by encouraging us, stirring us up with sincere reminders. So he takes them to the biblical witness. And he says that when the heavens existed long ago and it's formed out of water, he's going to cite this and the flood is two obvious, factual events in human history that answers the scoffer's question. That since the beginning, since that time of the patriarchs, God has done nothing. And Peter says, all right, well, let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. Who created the heavens, the, the, heavens, the atmosphere? He separated water from water. Genesis 1, 6 through 10 gives an overview of God's creation and his intervention. And at the end of verse 10, God says, it's good. And it is. And so we could spend hours in these verses, 6 through 10 of Genesis, just deci deciphering out all of the incredible things of understanding the creation account. But here, Peter uses the word to show how God intervened in creating he abolishes these scoffers. Nine times in chapter one of Genesis, God said. That's what is recorded for us. God said, and it happened. God made, and it was created. God said nine times. It was so, and it was so. 
And so how did God intervene and answer the question? He created. He created all of this. And then in verse 6, it says, in the same way that he intervened for creation, he interviewed, intervened again by human history, bringing the flood in the days of Noah. We talked about this in chapter 2, verse 5. This judgment is described in, in Genesis chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. But God intervened. God brought judgment. The ESV says in this, it's deluge. But it's where we get our word cataclysmic when we translate it. McMillan, I love how McMillan defines cataclysmic. It's this changing situation, suddenly, violently, and unpleasing. McMillan then says, something is very bad. Really? And so this judgment that came, it was a cataclysmic event in our world. And so Peter's saying, you missed it. You're saying that since the Father, since, since we go back in creation, it, it's not happened? The Bible Knowledge Commentary makes this observation. God the creator is also God the judge. In his sovereign will, any change in process can occur at any time, for he designed and controls these natural processes. The scoffers deliberately forgot God's creation and the flood, an interesting contrast with Peter's constant reminder to his readers to remember. 2 Peter 1, 12, verse 13, verse 15, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, and again he'll repeat it in verse 8. The scoffers deliberately put aside God's word and then complained that God wasn't doing anything. And so we see that God has intervened, and so Peter answers their question. And so let's wrap this up by way of introduction for us for next week. Because next week we're going to find out that God's word is certain. Verse 7 is a good news, bad news, because God is going to intervene again. But the bad news is there's going to be a cataclysmic event for those who have not put their faith in Christ. Because he says this time when it comes, it's going to be of fire. And it's going to be the day of judgment and destruction on the ungodly. And so the same loving God has intervened, and he will bring judgment to this world. And I'm so grateful that he didn't leave something like that for me to take care of, something like that for us to take care of, because I have enough trouble just keeping track of me and my keys sometimes and other things like that. And so... God, by, God made the earth by his word. He sustains the heavens and the earth that we now live in. He determines the time to intervene with, final, with the fire and the final cataclysmic event. Jesus gave a heads up on this. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, he says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And so how do we live being encouraged by Peter's words? Well, as our series title, we need to be diligent. We need to be diligent to be committed to God's word. Living out Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we are being transformed by his word and not conformed by those that are the false teachers or the scoffers. 
We allow it to permeate us. We have to keep the big picture and not just focus on the circumstances of today. But second, we need to be diligent in loving people because this event that will take place is something that we remember and celebrate for what God has done for us. But there is a world that needs to hear about Jesus. And so we need to love people enough. We need to encourage and see those as beloved to put what their need might be sometimes above that what we think ours is. And third, we need to have the diligence to remember the big picture, to remember that Jesus is coming back. And we don't know when. Jesus made it clear for us. He said, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And so we need to be diligent to live each day and each moment as if Jesus is returning at that, on that day or on this day or on this or that moment. And so this is how we move forward with encouragement of what Peter is lovingly telling us as we turn this corner toward the day of the Lord and we see the bigger picture. And so now more than ever, we need to take his advice as we wait on him. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.